Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are going to just recap the first few Big Ten games. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify. Make sure you leave a review, leave a rating, share it with your friends. Uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter. Big Ten Football Talk is the handle. And of course, if you want to email me your thoughts, Big Ten Football Talk at gmail.com is your friend. I said I wasn't going to post anything this week, but I felt like after the first few bowl games of the Big Ten, I thought it would be good to both recap some things that I've seen, but also to offer up a mea culpa, um, in particular with USC, because USC decided to go roughshod on Louisville on Wednesday night. And also, I want to I want to just address the absurd notion that because the ACC has not done well in bowl season, it means that it proves that Florida State shouldn't be in the playoff. I'm going to talk about why that's stupid. Um, I'll be very honest and upfront here. This is very much a stream of consciousness episode. Some of you might be like oh, these are some of my favorites because that gets a little off kilter here. Others of you might be like, oh gosh, here we go again. Which I apologize, you know, if, if you're like, oh no, here we go. So you're going to get some maybe more unfiltered thoughts on this episode. I haven't done a ton of research. This is more just coming from what I've observed, what I've seen, and, and how I think we as Big Ten fans should think about it. And, and a lot of this is going to be in context of the first signing day. You know, I, I didn't do a full signing day episode, but I, I want to just give you some just some thoughts about other teams in the league, including UCLA and USC, because UCLA and USC has played, and I think it would be good for us to talk about them. So I'll start with UCLA facing off against Boise State. They were they played on I believe the sixteenth Sunday Saturday the sixteenth I think it was the first day of bowl season I did not predict this game it would have been a hard prediction because Boise State came in without their quarterback and I think a lot of people thought Ethan Garbers was not going to go because he was hurt he wasn't all the way back but Colin Schley their their other quarterback UCLA's other quarterback got hurt. And then Garbers had to come in, and he played really well. 9-12, 152 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, was very, very good. Um, you know, before that, Colin Schley is a dual threat. He ran for over 100 yards uh, before he went out. UCLA had has some playmakers. Uh, J. Michael Sturdivant, uh, four catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. Uh, T.J. Harden, 20 carries, 105 yards, two touchdowns. And Boise State, you know, they really 
were were good down the stretch. Again, didn't play with their starter. Played with a backup uh, because their starter was in the transfer portal. But it was a, a good win for UCLA, especially with how well Boise State played down the stretch. They went won the Mountain West. And so what does it mean? Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know what it means because while UCLA... You know, UCLA has some good talent coming back. Ethan Garber said he's coming back uh, for another year in Chip Kelly's system, which I think is a very good thing that they have experience. The, the problem is UCLA had such a bad recruiting class. Now, they have, they have some opportunities to right the ship with the second signing day, right? But my concern with that is, you know, you don't have a lot of momentum. You don't have a lot of... You don't have a lot of opportunities to make an impression after the first one, right? There's there's not a lot of guys that are still unsigned. And so either you've got to make hay in the transfer portal or you've got to get in on some other kids that really, really you don't have a lot of other options. And so a lot of momentum going into the Big Ten from the bowl perspective, but not a lot of momentum going into recruiting. They were second to last. Uh, only The only team that was worse in terms of recruiting was Northwestern. And you kind of expect that from Northwestern. You're not going to recruit super, super well because of academic rigors at Northwestern. That's not the case with UCLA. So good for them to get the bowl win and to get the future of the Big Ten on the board. But if, if you think about the future, they have some returning talent you know, Sturdivant, I believe, is coming back. Uh, Garber's at quarterback, obviously coming back. But you're concerned about what's what's coming for the future for that program. So, but overall, good win. Um, Northwestern beat Utah in a slugfest of a game in the Las Vegas Bowl. You know, I I called uh, Minnesota or uh, Northwestern to win. Uh, they. They won fourteen to seven. I had a higher scoring game. I thought it would be thirty-one to seventeen. Uh, it was fourteen to seven. That game, though, it was not as close as the score appeared. And Northwestern's kicker missed, I think, three field goals in that game. Uh, they were st- stuffed on a fourth down. Sorry, he was zero for two on field goals. They went for it on fourth down and left Utah at the half-yard line. So that was 13 points that they left on the board. Utah outgained, or Northwestern outgained them uh, by a fairly substantial margin, particularly in the pass game. You know, they Bryson Barnes, who has been at least serviceable for Utah, was just dreadful. 55 yards on 13 attempts, two interceptions, uh, just not a very good performance by Utah. And I think some of that was, you know, Utah's offense had some opt-outs. They, there are other things going on there. But also, you got to give credit to David Braun and Northwestern. Uh, just a really good performance by them. You know, they they really forced Barnes into some bad decisions you know, and Brett Ben Bryant, who's not coming back, you know, he's a six-year senior, but he played a really good game, especially in the second half. 
23 of 34, 222 yards, two touchdowns. And while the running game for Northwestern was not great, right, 31 carries and 65 yards, it was, you know, they were able to run well in spots to keep Utah off balance. And the real question for me for Northwestern moving forward is can you get a quarterback that is going to help you be a winner next year? Because I think they've got a winning formula. I think David Braun has done a really good job, but they also have a lot of guys graduating. And so is is next year just going to be a great reset year where they have to kind of reload a bit or uh, rebuild next year? I'm not sure. All I know is I thought Northwestern going into this game was going to win part of that because of Utah opt-outs, but don't realize that Utah has been playing without a full deck all season and still got to eight and four before this game. And so to, to basically say, well, Northwestern, it's not that great of win, yada, yada, yada. That's garbage. Like this is a big time win for Northwestern. And I think it gets David Braun some momentum as he starts to establish himself. I think watch the transfer portal for Northwestern because I think the fact that they were able to go out to Vegas, go out to Pac-12 country and get a win against Utah is a big deal. And I think David Braun's going to have a lot to sell his his program and sell, sell transfers on his program to come in similar to Ben Bryant. Say, hey, you can come here. You can kind of reestablish your career. You can rehab your career here. And we can have a pretty pretty darn good team and have a, a pretty good year. So really good by Northwestern. Uh, and I think it proves that the West, I, you know, I I have said that I thought the West was not a good, good division. But Utah's a good win for a Big Ten West team. And I, I think it bodes well for the rest of the Big Ten. Minnesota, another Big Ten West team, they they got in to the Quick Lane Bowl at five and seven. They played Bowling Green. Bowling Green, uh, you know, I mentioned I, I thought it'd be a close game. I had twenty four to twenty. It was thirty to twenty four. Minnesota over Bowling Green. I, I will be honest. I thought Minnesota was lucky to win this game. Darius Taylor, the the freshman running back, was phenomenal. He was he was a bright spot in this game. Thirty five carries for a freshman, two hundred and eight yards. Really, really good by him. Not much else was great, right? The defense played okay, like they were, they were okay. Um, you know, Minnesota. I think if the game were managed better. I think they would have the the margin of victory would not have been as close as it was. I don't understand PJ Flex reasoning for going for two early, right? It was seven to six. PJ Fleck opts to go for, for two instead of one and they don't get it. And so Minnesota is trailing. You know, it's 10 to 9 at half. And so I'm like, why did you go for two when it's not in your DNA? And then later on in the game, you know, when you're trying to get up uh, two scores, 
you know, it's 22 to 10 and you're like, okay, maybe it's the end of the third quarter. Maybe we should, you know, try to get it to, to 14 instead of 12 or 14 instead of 13. And he doesn't go for it. And I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Like, if you're going to go for two at the beginning of the game and set yourself back, you better be willing to go for two at the end of the game to, to reset it. I, I just do not understand PJ Flex coaching. Um, it, Minnesota was left in the lurch a little bit. Cole Kramer was the backup, more of a wildcat guy, although he only had three carries, surprisingly. He was 8 of 16 for 26 yards, not great. He did throw for two touchdowns, threw for a pick. Um, but like this was this was Minnesota on the ground game pushing a, a lesser opponent around. And I think the reality is Minnesota won. They were the better team. There's no reason why this game should have been a six-point game. And again, I'm going to harp on this. This is a result, I think, of P.J. Fleck coaching under his weight. Like, Minnesota should be better than this. Like, Minnesota should not be battling for a win against a a middle-of-the-road Mac team. Bowling Green was better than middle-of-the-road Mac this year. But the, the, the point remains, you should not be struggling with Bowling Green. Like you should not be giving up big plays on your first drive and getting down 7 nothing to Bowling Green. You just shouldn't. And I, I feel for Minnesota because I think there's been a lot of hype with Minnesota. And I get Kaliak Manis didn't play. You know He's in the transfer portal. I get that. Fact remains, they ran 44 times for 255 yards, and they won by six. That concerns me moving forward for Minnesota. And I want to see P.J. Fleck be better because that's the hype around him. And at this point, I, I am concerned that he has not only plateaued, but he's going back down the mountain, right? 2019 was a magical season for them. I'm not sure they ever get back to the heights of that with PJ Fleck at the helm. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I, I was not impressed by Minnesota. I, I thought it was a bad effort. Um, or I I think the fact that they only won by six. Granted, a win is a win is a win. I get that. I thought Fleck managed managed this game very poorly, and I I don't think I don't think he put his team in a really good position. And if they had played a little bit better of an opponent, they they would have got beat. So Minnesota got the win. They get to six wins. Good for them. Good good job for the players. They got to a bowl game. Uh, I want to talk USC. USC Louisville. I have been dogging USC for the past several podcasts. I've been on two separate podcasts, the Big Ten Huddle and the OHIO podcast. Go check those out. Um, and I have dogged USC. Like I've said, I don't think USC is making a bowl game next year. I'm on record saying that. It's a bowl game, and there's a lot of players that, that played for USC that are not going to be there next year. I'm wrong. 
I will walk those comments back. I think they're at least making a bowl game next year. I'm still not going to say that they're going to be top four in the conference yet, but Miller Moss was really good. You know, I thought the the run game was okay, you know, 19 carries for 71 yards. But, like, they're a wide-open offense. You know, they've got really, really talented receivers. Zachariah Branch, uh, every time he touches the ball, is just very – he's just – he's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. I believe, I believe he's only a sophomore. You know, they – I I know uh, Taj Washington, he's going to be – gone after this year, but they've got playmakers, and I thought the defense acquitted themselves well, despite the fact that, you know, their their defense is in upheaval because of the departure of Alex Grinch, and Danton Lynn is coming in, you know, I get that, I thought Miller Moss played really well, and if he's going to be the guy moving forward... Like, you can win with him. You can really win with him. I thought the offensive line played well, and they beat a good team. You know, people on my on Twitter, I, I'd mentioned that USC was just beaten, beaten up on Louisville. And people are like, well, Louisville stinks. They're 10-4. and four. They beat Notre Dame. They're not a bad team. Remember, USC was 7-5 and five coming into this thing. So, like, again, context. You know, if Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Oregon or Washington, one of those five were beating up on this and were like, wow, that's really good, then you have a point. But, like, USC was not the favorite in this game. Nor, nor they, they shouldn't have been. Like, Louisville was the favorite coming into this game even though they didn't have their top receiver and their top running back. By the way, their second back, Isaac Rendo, former Wisconsin guy, he had a good game, 23 carries, 161 yards, three touchdowns. Jack Plummer, good quarterback. They limited him, right? Held Louisville to under 400 yards, which that's good. Like Jeff Brom is an innovative head coach, innovative offensive mind. So for, I think for Louisville to come in, they were ranked 15th and really were just stymied. You know, USC was, I think, up two scores for a majority of the game. You know, that's really good for them. It's a good win, and I think it bodes well as they start to come towards the the Big Ten. I don't think they're a top-four team in the conference yet. Like, I I think that's what a lot of USC fans might think. But I, if I'm a USC fan and you're seeing all these transfers, you're seeing all the people leaving, Caleb Williams leaving, Anything? What's going to happen? I think there is more hope than I initially thought, and that's a that's a big deal because hope sells. And if you can get a couple of high profile transfers in the portal, mixed in with I think a decent recruiting class, and the momentum of a top twenty five win, I think USC can make some hay next year. I, my outlook on them has definitely shifted since talking about USC the past couple weeks. So, good win for USC. Good on them. Changed my mind on them, at least to some extent. Um, lastly, I'm going to talk about Rutgers before I talk about the ACC and Florida State and all that stuff. 
Um, I love Rutgers. I love Rutgers. I love what Greg Shiano is doing. I, I have said this very often on this podcast this year. They finish this season out with a bowl win over Miami. And they beat they, they beat up on Miami, particularly on the lines. Uh, I thought they played really well. I thought Gavin Gavin at the stat line doesn't look great, but I thought he looked like he has progressed. Um, you know, only through 15 passes, seven to 15, but you know, he was, I thought he was effective at, you know, and I thought he looked more comfortable. Manangai was great. 25 carries, 163 yards and a touchdown. Probably the bigger thing is he's coming back. You've got Gavin Wimzak coming back. You have a lot of your core coming back with Rutgers. You know, if you guys missed the episode I did with Larry Crane of Nightwatch, Go and, and back, because I think he has a, a great read on the program. Future's bright for Rutgers, man. And again, I've, I've said this over and over, and I will keep saying this till I'm blue in the face. What Rutgers did this year is, I think, the best that Greg Schiano has ever done and in terms of a coaching job. I'm not going to just totally rehash it, but I think one of the cool things about this, Rutgers exercised their old Big East demons this year because they beat Virginia Tech and Miami. Like, it's crazy. And I know Miami 7-6, and six, Virginia Tech 7-6. and six, So, like, not the Miami and Virginia Tech of old. I get that. But still, Rutgers beat Virginia Tech and Miami. And... You know, Miami was not, they they weren't necessarily the team that, you know, they came in that that was, that got them to 7-5, right? Van Dyke, the quarterback was out, their safeties opted out. Uh, Mark Fletcher, their their young running back of the future, he went out with an injury early in this game. So, like, Miami wasn't at full strength. Rutgers, I think only Max Melton opted out, and there were a couple of in- injuries. But you know, Rutgers was playing with mostly a full deck, while Miami was not. I understand that. The line play for Rutgers is real. That was real for the entire game, and like Miami was beat up. Now this game is probably a little different if Van Dyke plays, right? I, I probably would have picked Miami to win if Van Dyke played. So I, you know, I think there is again context matters, but also Rutgers was up two scores with like thirty seconds left in this game. So, and the other thing about this, if Rutgers had not played undisciplined in this game, Rutgers probably could have won by three or four scores. But they played undisciplined. They had a couple of key penalties that kept Miami in the game in the first half. And I think what was really cool, Rutgers got down 17 to 14. They came right back and scored. So Rutgers controlled the game for the for the most part. Um so I, I'm just I, I say all that. There's there's a lot of temptation to look at this game and be like, well, Rutgers did this, Rutgers did that, but Miami this, Miami that. Don't denigrate what Rutgers did. This is an accomplishment for them, especially in context. And 
right. Like if if this were you know roles reversed, you know, I, I I was talking about Minnesota poorly in the last segment or two segments ago, but the reality is like if Minnesota was building and hadn't had a nine and four season before, and this is what they were accomplishing. Like that's that's good for them, right? It's because the trajectory is going up. They're building. They're you know they're that's not what what's happening with Minnesota right now. Rutgers, you look at their where they were, you know, they were the butt of every joke in the Big Ten as of like two years ago. They went seven and six in the toughest division in college football. They played the top three from the West, and they played Virginia Tech and Miami, and they went seven and six. It's an incredible coaching job. And you had people on Twitter, and I'm one of them, that said Rutgers was beating up on Miami on the lines. Like, that should tick, like, if I'm a Miami fan, that should tick you off. But if you're a Rutgers fan, that should give you a lot of pride. Because Rutgers whipped them up front, which I think everybody thought they could do that. But they proved it today. So good on them. Good on the Scarlet Knights. Seven and six. Celebrate in Piscataway. Which brings me to the ACC and the inevitable cries that the ACC is proving that the playoff committee made the right decision and left in leaving Florida State out. You all are wrong if you believe that. And... Before you say, well, but the playoff committee is tasked with finding the best four teams, not the most deserving. And even if it were the most deserving, Florida State doesn't deserve it. Yadi blah de blah de blah. The ACC has had a bad bowl schedule or a bad bowl season. As of recording, Kansas State just finished off NC State. 28 to 19. You know, Boston College beat SMU. So that's that's a bowl win for the ACC. After that, you know, Louisville lost by 14. UNC lost by 20. Virginia Tech beat Tulane. So good on them, but that's a group of five. Uh, and then after that, I think, you know, Duke beat Troy by seven. Okay, so like ACC... 3-0 against Group of Five and an Ofer against Power Five. Like, that's been the story of the ACC in bowl season so far. And so inevitably, people are like, yeah, the ACC stinks. Oh, by the way, Syracuse lost 45 to nothing against USF. That was, that was not a good look for the ACC. But a lot of people are using that and saying, okay, the committee got it right. You cannot look at bowl season to then justify your opinion. It just doesn't work, right? Because you can make facts, you can make these facts say what you want to say. So like I could look at Virginia Tech, who beat Tulane, be like, oh, but Virginia Tech, Beat up on on Tulane, right? Um, I, I know Tulane's not very good, but you can make things you you can make anything say what you want it to say. So like you can you can look at Rutgers Miami today, and be like, well Miami took Florida State to the limit, 
and that was that was before the injury to uh, not Jaden Daniels. That's who I'm not who I'm thinking of. Uh, Jordan Travis, and you know they took him to the limit, and yeah, yada yada yada, whatever. Okay, you have to remember though. Did Miami want to be there? Did they have their full roster? Did they have a really good quarterback at the helm? Like, bowl games, it's fun to talk about bowl games and conference superiority, but the reality is they don't really tell you that much. They don't really tell you about the strength of the conference. Like, we, you know, Louisville didn't have their best receiver. Who knows how much that screwed them up against SC? Well, as USC has probably been hearing all the smoke from the outside about, oh, the, the program's imploding, and they played with a lot of pride. So you can't, you can't look at bowl season to justify, to, to make justification. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, a lot of people out there are saying, well, if Florida State really wanted to prove themselves, they wouldn't have all these opt-outs, and they'd prove it against Georgia. Just stop it. That's called gaslighting, if we're being honest. Like, you know, if you really wanted to prove yourself, just do this next thing. No, they proved themselves by going undefeated in a Power 5 conference. They don't need to to prove anything else to anybody. They should be in. Period. End of story. That, like, there's no, like, they don't need to prove anything else. So why all of a sudden do they now, now need to prove it against Georgia? And, and listen, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I, I want players to play in bowl games. I understand why they don't. But this, this is absurd that, well, they should, you know, they should try to, you know, all these players should opt back in because they should prove it to the world. And I'm like, man, if I were one of those players... And my coach and the media all came to me and was like, you know, you can really prove to the rest of the world. I'd be like, but you basically just told me my whole season didn't matter. And like, if we beat Georgia, it's not going to matter, ultimately. because well, At least from a national championship perspective. Because the AP poll is not going to vote uh Florida State, number one, even if they beat Georgia down by four scores. So, like, if that's, if if you're asking them to prove a point, it's not a very attractive one. Because there's almost no guarantee, like, there's almost no hope that any of the AP voters are going to vote them number one. And if if there there are, it'll be like one or two, and it'll be like John Wilner and out west or something because he's a chaos vote. You know, sorry, John, if if anyone knows who the AP voters are, there there there's always one. John Wilner tends to be the one that, that has a weird vote once in a while. Um, like, what's the point? Like, the the if they beat Georgia. Great. Then they have a ring because they beat Georgia. And if they lose to Georgia, it's like, see, they were right. It's stupid. You know what? You know how we should have determined it? On the field. Guess what? We didn't. The playoff committee screwed it up. 
I'm tired. Like all this trying to rewrite history and try to make the committee's decision fit into a narrative is wrong. That's not how we're supposed to do sports. Sports is about winning the game on the field. And Florida State doesn't get to do that. And I'll, I'll continue to, to bang that drum. You know, I, I love college football nerds. And they're, they're great, and we'll disagree on this point, but they had a, a tweet about you know, having an automatic bid for a group of five team. And I'm like, as, and, and that they shouldn't, they shouldn't have it because of the disparity in quality. And I'm like, as long as there are, they are in the same division, I think that's a, it's a bad take. Because you're basically saying, you know, if you can't win your way into the playoff. Like at some point, there's always going to be a beauty contest section. And that's not how sports are supposed to be. Now, I'm also in favor of getting group of five and power fives and separating them into their own divisions and then having the playoff be just that. I, I think at some point you have to move towards that. But that's going to take a lot of bureaucracy and politics and all that stuff and It'll take time because everything in college football moves like molasses, except the NCAA uh, ruling players ineligible because of stupid stuff. That's about the only thing they move fast on. So all, all that being said, I am pleading with you, do not get suckered in to like hindsight is 2020 thinking with the playoff selection committee. They got it wrong. Period. End of story. You cannot use the future to justify opinions. I'm sorry, you can't. The, the, what it is, is the playoff system is broken. Period. End of story. The ACC has not been good in bowl season. But there are reasons for that. Don't use it to justify a narrative uh, to take pressure off of a broken system and a... and real issues with that system and some of the the politics around it. So there, I'm done. I uh, I hope you guys appreciate this bonus episode. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and I hope you have a Happy New Year. We'll try to get you an episode after the, uh, the playoff games and the New Year's Six games as well. Um, that may come a little later just based on timing. But again, appreciate y'all. Find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Leave a review, share it with your friends on Twitter, uh, on social media, and uh, really appreciate you guys. Happy New Year. Take care. God bless.